this is Gilbert Gottfried, Mrs. Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a director, producer, an Emmy-winning and Tony-nominated performer, and one of the busiest and most recognized television and film actors of the last 50 years. You've seen him in TV shows like Police Story, The Streets of San Francisco, The Paper Chase, Law and Order, and Homicide, and features like The Seven Ups, Fist, God Told Me To, Blood Brothers, City Heat, and The Jura, as well as the film classics The Honeymoon Killers and a movie we've discussed quite a bit on this podcast, The French Connection. He's also been praised for his stage work, including his Obi-winning role in the play Yanks 3, Detroit Zero, as well as his Tony-nominated role as Eddie Carbone in Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge. For the past 30-plus years, he's toured the globe in a series of one-man shows based on the life of his childhood hero, Fiorello LaGuardia, whom, I'd like to add, was one quarter Jewish. (laughs) He's also an acting teacher and a member of the world-famous Actor Studio, and he continues to tour the country with an inspirational lecture called From Brooklyn to Broadway and Beyond. In a long and successful career, he shared the stage and screen with Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, James Mason, Lawrence Olivier, Hal Holbrook, George C. Scott, Anthony Hopkins, Christopher Walken, and one of our favorite actors here, Rod Steiger. Please welcome an artist of many talents and a man who once came to bat against the legendary Sandy Koufax, the pride of Bensonhurst, Tony Lobianco. Well, hello, hello. Well, thank you for that introduction. Fantastic. Hi, Tony. He almost called you the bride of the Bensonhurst. Bride, yes. <laughs> the bride of Frankenstein. And, and to all the people out there, if you don't know the name, Tony Lobianco. Shame on you. Yeah, first, yes, first of all, shame on you, but type that name into your computer or iPhone, and I guarantee when you see the picture, you're going to go, oh, that guy. That's him. Yeah. (laughs) Tony, thanks for coming. A pleasure, Frank. Pleasure to be here. As I was saying off mic, it's nice to have one of my people. It's been so long. I, I prefer when it's Jews here. But <laughs> You're outnumbered tonight with Verda Rosa, Lo Bianco, and Santo Padre. But he did prove his Italian roots when I was saying that my wife was nagging me that I should run next door and get something to eat. Exactly. And then I said, well, you're here. I don't want to interrupt. 
and you and an old world guinea way. <laughs> said, no, no, get something to eat. Absolutely, absolutely. Totally Italian. <laughs> and I cook, too, yeah. as, as does my wife, Elise, very well. Now, now another thing, I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Wow. That's a whole all bunch three of us. us. All three of us in yeah. Brooklyn. Wow. And yeah. and so He's many. Coney Island boy. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Coney Island, then Crown Heights, and then Borough Park. Yeah, I was Bensonhurst, Bay Ridge, Bensonhurst, uh, yeah, and uh, moved around a bit. We had, uh, I, I moved uh, uh, three times before I was 10 years old, ending up on 18th Avenue, 49th Street. It was quite an experience uh, being born in Brooklyn. There's so many people in our business who uh, have been born really in Brooklyn. Are. It's amazing. So many on our podcast. I, yeah. I was telling Tony, it's got to be, we got about 40 or 50 people from Brooklyn. Yeah, on this that show. must be something in the water. But I also, you know, I think, I think growing up in Brooklyn gives you a real uh, perspective on life because, you know, I'm sure either of us have had a, you know, a silver spoon in our mouth when we were born. My father was a cab driver, mother, you know, a housewife and so on. And, you know, being poor, uh, what would be considered poor, uh, you don't know any better. No. And uh, as I recall, as my brother recalls, uh, you know, toys, I think we had one toy each, you know, and we didn't know the difference. It didn't, it didn't matter. We, I always believe that struggling gives you an education. And the harder you have it, the more you know. You know, the more difficult life is. I think that's true. Yeah. Well, your I dad owned a hardware store. I mean, you guys yeah. weren't flush, and my dad was mm-hmm. a struggling commercial artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When mm-hmm. we lived in an apartment in Coney Island above his hardware store. Oh, that mm-hmm. was wonderful. Coney Island, I remember my trips there as a kid and as a teenager. Wow, it was a, it was a, whole, other, a whole other life, you know. Different going, universe. Going and to... it's so funny because mm-hmm. me and my wife have said this to our kids a few times, and to hear you say it, that also, growing up, you had like one or two toys. That was it. Sure. Now yeah. it's like they want every single toy. They don't even open them all when they get yeah. them for the holidays. Oh, they yeah. stack yeah. them <laughs> over the race. As you know, their favorite toy is generally the box. The box. That, yes. You know, yeah. you play with the box and all the toys are on the side. <laughs> Tell us about your family, too, since we're talking well, about it. It was, I, a big, it was a big dramatic family, as you well, describe it. Well, always dramatic. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the idea of, uh, of uh, I was fortunate enough, my mother had uh, uh, seven brothers, and so I had uncles, and the idea to have someone to look up to uh, was tremendously important, uh, and we had stories, and the stories that our parents told us, because they had hardship, you know, uh, my mother was from the Lower East Side, my father was from Brooklyn, and uh, they all had sixth grade educations, mm-hmm. you know, because they had to get out and work and support the family and so on, and my mother, my mother was one that took care of everybody, uh, our brothers and so on. And uh, that kind of the, the stories that you hear uh, back then of struggle. I mean, when she was when she first uh, uh, was a kid, they took her out of school so she can go sew coats at Howard Clothing. If you remember the Howard Clothing by, way back then, and then when the inspectors would come around because of child labor laws, they'd hide her in the bathroom. Unbelievable. So I mean, that's the way they grew up, and this and the the struggling, all that struggling. And the stories from my from my my uncles, and oddly enough, with with our brothers, somehow, some way, especially back then, one of them only smoked, 
and one of them only drank, which is, <laughs> which is very odd, you know, when you when you think of that. And and the idea of of uh, achieving things with struggling always always is is very important to me. I'm still doing it. Listen, uh, tomorrow, I I'm pitching a softball game. I love that. You know what I mean? I struggling is 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 what I do because because good is nothing, excellent, and and doing what you can't. I think you can accomplish, and it's the same thing I try to do with, with my acting as well. You know, playing uh, Fiorello LaGuardia uh, is not quite the way I look or the way I behave, and his whole manner is a whole different human being. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he had a different kind of a voice than I had, and certainly he was rotund and and, and uh, overweight, and, and uh, his manner was much more so on. But creating characters... Is what it's all about, as far as I'm concerned. When they when they talked about being a character actor, to me, as far as I'm concerned, every part I played is a character. I don't know any script that's ever been written that said Tony Lobianco. I don't I don't know that part. <laughs> right, never, of course, never, never played that part. So uh, it's it's fascinating, you know. Of course, being Italian and being pretty good at at playing the gangster stuff and looking Italian. Uh, you get cast that way, and, I, and those are great roles. They're very rich, rich roles as an actor to play. But the uh, the whole uh, idea to me of acting has uh, quote nothing to do with me. Well, you've also been in biblical epics. Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot did, of range. We did uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. With uh, Laurence Olivier yeah, and uh, yeah. Zeffirelli, the great director. You've played Je- every Zeffirelli. kind of part. Zeffirelli. And also, also the I did the Jesus of, uh, excuse me, I did uh, Jacob and Joseph, right? And and that was a fascinating situation because I when I left to go to Israel to shoot it, playing Joseph, I played Joseph, and Keith Michelle played the Jacob. Uh, Colleen Dewhurst was in it, mm-hmm. my mother, uh, and uh, I mean Jacob's mother. Anyway, uh, when I went there, Israel had just shot down six Syrian planes. Syrian, oh. Million. And uh, I said to my then wife, I said, oh, well, war is going to break out. When I arrived, the day I, the day I arrived, uh, war broke out. The six-day uh, Yom Kippur War. Mm-hmm. And uh, I somehow convinced my producer and director, Michael Kakianis, who directed Zorba the Greek, to stay while everybody was ordered to leave Israel. To, and I somehow sat down and we talked about it. I said, stay. Israel's never going to lose a war. And so, uh, I mean, and Moshe Dayan and, uh, uh, and we're all rushing. We were at the hotel in Tel Aviv that was headquarters. And so they'd be rushing in and out and holding, holding news conferences there. And of course, the war was getting worse as it was going on. And I was going around doing interviews, saying to the Israelis, don't worry about a thing. America's on its way. Americans wasn't on his way. Wow. And you know what I mean? So I was doing a lot of PR. And what happened was I finally convinced them. I said, you know what would be a good idea? Just for morale, because most of my brothers, uh, uh, the 11 brothers, uh, were all Habima actors and also in the military. I said, it'd be a very good inspirational thing if we started filming. They said, filming? There's a war going on. We're filming on the desert. I said, it could be good. So I convinced them to film. And the, was was so wonderful because the guy, my the brothers were in their robes and were doing a scene, and we had a, the the script girl listening to the radio for their number to be called to go to the front line, and when it, when they did, 
when the soldier would, the soldier who was my brother would stop, take off his robe, his uniform was underneath his robe, pick up his Uzi, jump into some kind of a truck, and go to the front line and do his eight hours. Well, that, and that's the way we shot the film. Wild. Isn't that something? That is nutty. Wow. Yeah, that's a great story. That's a great thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it was, and we kept shooting and filming and, uh, Hate to use the word shooting under those yes, circumstances. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite something. Yeah. Now I I heard somewhere too that you, when you're in a production, a play or movie, it's not you're not one of those actors who's just concerned with your part and your lines, but you want to know every single thing, every job that's being done. Yes, I do indeed. As a matter of fact, even. Uh, that when I first went to acting school at the dramatic workshop that used to be on 50th Street in the Capitol yeah, it's Theater, gone now. Yeah, gone yeah. across from the Winter Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first went in there as a kid, 17 years old, uh, to be an actor, which I knew nothing much about, except I had entered a contest in high school and did very well. I was I was representing Brooklyn. Ah, the, right, that's for, right. The five boroughs. That's right. I, I was I well. Was you you to jump in with something were also named. King of Brooklyn? Yes, yes. <laughs> that came later. <laughs> That's later. As a fact, it's on that pathway in the in the in the park. Uh, the, it's my it's 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 on, it's on the ground. I'm sorry we game. didn't put that in your intro. And, the King of Brooklyn. <laughs> King of Brooklyn. And Lainey Kazan, my good friend, was the queen. Oh, I love of that. Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. So when I so when I went to acting school, the first thing I did was I said, oh, uh, you have a stage here. Let's put plays on." And I said, I want to learn about lighting. I want to learn about mopping the stage. I want to learn about putting the sets up. I want to learn everything like that. So, so as a result of that, you know, when I'm in, in, in years gone by, when I'm acting, I always hang around the camera and I always watch to see how the director is uh, communicating, not only with the actors, because most of them don't communicate that much <laughs> with the actors, but being an actor, I know how to communicate you know, uh, working with with actors, and uh, and see how much time they waste. It's a big deal, you know, how much time they That's waste on a set, you know. And uh, so uh, when it came time for them wanting me to do more police stories, I said, okay, I'll do more police stories, but let me direct one. So that's how I got into directing. I had not directed except for the stage. Right. Because uh, uh, I started a theater in, at the uh, uh, Triangle Theater here in New York, uh, in the sixties, because uh, I always believe that you you can't wait. You, in this business, you know you you spend most of your time waiting, obviously, and that's what you get paid for waiting, not doing not doing your job. But uh, but uh, you got to create. You have got to be the guy who who is a leader. And thank God, somewhere along the line, I've always been. You were a self starter. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, tell tell Gilbert yeah. you that the, the how dating a Jewish girl kind of led in, led to oh, an acting I was, career. I was you were going to go there. I was just going <laughs> to go there because you know I have to lead it to Judy. I'm Judaism. feeding you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm giving de- you what you want. Tell us. This. Well, you know, my uh, I was dating a, a a gal named Faye Newman, and uh, yes, she was Jewish, and I was sort of sixteen, I think, and. Uh, and uh, the teacher in school, Miss Jacobson, my mentor, uh, happened to. I went to a vocational high school, uh, Grady William E. Grady Vocational High School, 
uh, had no guidance, had no, you know, telling well, what kind of school do you want to go. I had none of that. And just, there was no showbiz in the family, by the way. No, this no, was, no. no. Really... It was the school I went to was the, the closest school to my house. Okay. You know, so it had to be a vocational high school. Uh, and I had no interest in sheet metal working or mechanics or whatever, woodworking or what have you. Fortunately, my brother was a commercial artist like your dad. Oh, interesting. And uh, he was in the, had a commercial art a school there, class. So he took it and... I know any better, so I took it too. He had talent, I did not. Uh, and <laughs> I was fortunate enough to have this teacher, Patricia Jacobson, who, another Jewish lady. <laughs> uh, and she uh, had, there was a speech and drama class in this vocational high school, which is shocking to me. Uh, but she liked me, and I think because she was friends of the mother of the girl I was dating who was not too thrilled with the, her, her daughter with a shiksa, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, I, and so uh, somewhat, somehow, she, uh, she cut me out of class to be in her class, and we'd talk, talk about life, talk about this, that, and the other thing, and, and it sort of came around, let me know that she was a friend of, you know, and friend of the, the mother. It was very subtle and very good, but thank God I was perceptive enough to understand because as we say, the streets, I'm, I'm, I'm life taught, uh-huh. you know, street taught, taught. And I can pick up on, on people's vibes of what they're really getting at and their behavior and their body language and all that jazz. And so I understood that. But in the meantime, she had engaged me, a contest had come around and, uh, and she somehow, some way uh, talked me into uh, doing, a, doing this speech. And it was, you know, it's it's so, as the circle goes, I went home and my aunt uh, lived underneath us in Brooklyn. And uh, it just so happened, I said, she wants me to do some kind of a speech. And it just so happened that her sister was there, a younger sister. And she said, well, what about this poem? And it was a poem about a soldier dying in a foxhole and discovering God mm-hmm. for the first time and having a conversation with God. And so I, it touched me again. And I say that because of the circle of the, the video I, I yeah. did, we'll talk about later. Yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, so I did this speech and, and uh, I won. I won in my class. And then uh, I won in my, bu- uh, in my building. And I won. we had three buildings, three buildings, and I won for the whole building. Here I was now in, in this, uh, this contest. And and then she changed it to I have a rendezvous with death, and she changed it again to Cyrano de Bergerac, where you do that whole speech about you about the nose and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And here I am, I won for my district, and now I won for my borough. I'm one for Brooklyn. It's a lot of pressure. I, I mean, it's astounding. <laughs> it's astounding. And there I was representing Brooklyn in the city finals of the five boroughs, and I didn't win, but because uh, that was the time. I, I say uh, I didn't win because it was some some young guy did a speech about communism, and it was a wonderful time to do that speech. You know, it was the you know the fifties, fifty three or four, and uh, so in a very patriotic speech, anyone. Uh, but you had but the bug at this that point. That gave me, you know, I, before I knew I was graduating, mm-hmm. and uh, I know I played. I was, you know, always athletic. So I played baseball, and I was uh, I was also the a Brooklyn Dodger rookie 
a tryout uh, we had at, at Ebbets Field. That's cool. Of all that, amazing. And that, that's a whole story in itself. Well, though, with Al, Al Campanis and all oh, that yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, you know that. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. I know who he was, yeah, too. I'm a, yeah. I'm a baseball guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, but tell us briefly, since you mentioned it, tell us about coming up to bat against well, Koufax. you know. Also well, Jewish, Gilbert. Ah! Yes, a Jewish <laughs> and Koufax. And, and the greatest pitcher. Greatest, maybe the greatest pitcher that ever lived. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I used to watch him, you know, on television when he'd throw a strike and he was unhappy. Because it was not the strike he wanted to throw. Imagine. You know, just on the edge, that edge. That edge. And that's, that's, that's also a great teacher as far as I'm concerned because that t- t- teaches me a great deal. I always want to get it right because, you know, acting is the only place where you get to do life over. That's interesting. Wow. See? The only place you get to do life over. Cut. Let's do it again. Let's fix it. I come back to I come back next night on a play. I'm always fixing, fixing, fixing. It didn't go perfect. And, you know, we'll never get it perfect, you know. So, but that's that, that's it. That's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. Keep working and making sure you're doing it. So I'm a stickler for that. So when he, he throws a strike and it's not exactly where he wants it, that's my man, you see. But anyway, I was off probably doing a, a work on this speech. Mm-hmm. And I was the all-star first baseman. Right. Would you believe? Uh, and only because I was a, uh, I had a Pete Rose mindset. You threw yourself into it. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I tell you, <laughs> I, it didn't matter what the score, score was. But anyway, I came back to this game, and uh, I said, what's going on? I said, the guy's throwing a no-hitter against us. I said, put, us in, put me in. Put me in. So I got in, and I was the last batter to face Sandy Koufax. Oh, wow. <sighs> and he throws this pitch, and I got to hit the ball. Out for an out, a fly ball to right field, but I got to hit the ball. You were the twenty seventh out. Yeah, I was the last. I was the last out. You know. <laughs> nice. Sandy, There's some honor in that. What a great, what a great. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. But that other story, you know, about the the trial with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, fantastic. Tell us, tell us. Well, it's I'm, fun. I'm, uh, uh, when we get to, um, having a trial, we're all we're all warming up, and we we come out on the, in the dugout. And Al Campanis, who was then a scout, right? He be, later would become the GM of the Dodgers. Right. He yeah. said he says to us, "Now listen, nobody, but nobody walks on this field. When your foot touches Dodger dirt, you run." So I was so excited to beat that. When my foot touched Dodger dirt, I got a nosebleed. And I was, I'm trying to get my nose to stop bleeding, and I'm trying. I'm on the field, and I'm running to the outfield, and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh!" And I'm seeing all the signs and all the billboards. <laughs> right. Oh my God, I'm, Hit this uh, sign. What was it? And win a suit. Yeah, whatever. At, yeah, at what, field? All, all kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm bleeding over there, my uniform and the glove. And by the time I got back to someone, everybody was assigned to this, that, and that. that was a disaster. But years later, I become very good friends with my with Tommy Lasorda. The manager sure. of the of the L.A. Dodgers, and uh, and uh, um, uh, Campanis is now, as you said, the general manager, and I'm sitting in the booth with him, watching Doc Gooden pitch against Fernandez, Sid Fernandez, uh-huh. and I'm watching it, and I see Doc Gooden go into his uh, wind up, and the Dodgers get a runner on first base, and I said to him, "You can steal on this guy easy." He goes to his wind-up up here, uh-huh. you know. So he calls down. He calls to Tommy. <laughs> says, you could steal this guy. Goes on. Boom, guy steals the base. So you're scouting for the I'm Dodgers scouting. at I'm, this point. <laughs> but it's amazing. You're a ball fan, and you understand. You know, you watch these yeah. guys play sometimes. You say, they don't know. I'm picturing that. Doc Gooden's wind-up now, and yes, it was yeah, very yeah. deliberate. Well, yeah, now he, yeah. You know, he comes set, does a slide step. You know, right, you right, right. Come, you know. but, and I you mean, still play in ball. 
No. I, play. I got a pitch tomorrow. That's fantastic. I'm pitching eagle. <laughs> I won eight championships in the softball league. And I'm the only player that won MVP three years. Broadway show league? Broadway show league. Three years in a row. And the, and the fourth year, uh, the, the, man, the, the commission wouldn't give me the award. He said, yeah, I can't give you a four. He said, it was my best year because I pitched a no-hitter. And he said, I can't give you a four. He said, you should, you should have four, but I can't give it to you. But that was a did it break uh, your now, heart when the Dodgers first, when they left? Yeah, but actually, you know, I was a crazy guy because uh, even though I was born in Brooklyn, I was a New York Giants fan. Wow. Willie Mays. That's sacrilege. And, yeah, I know, that's sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> My brothers were Yankee fans, too. So it's wild. Now, did yeah. you do some prize fighting, too? I did. I did. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> I did. I, I, was, I did club fighting, and then I went into the Golden Gloves, the famous Golden Gloves. And uh, that was that was quite quite something. And even my first fight, as a matter of fact, as a result of my life, <laughs> I've written the movie, and it's called Pistol Pockets. And and I I, I don't know if guys remember. I'm, I'm a little older than you guys, and maybe a lot older. But uh, there's a, a period of dress code called Pistol Pockets, and it was peg pants, saddles stitched down the side. And flaps on your back that were that were in your back pockets that were shaped shaped in a pistol, uh, a piece of cloth, really. And and the the movie is about my life growing growing up with the teacher and with uh, uh, it only it's only stays right at at, at uh, eighteen eighteen years old, but it's also, it also includes boxing, and uh, and uh, it's a good, real one wonderful come of age. And Warner Brothers are looking at it as we very speak. cool. Yeah, yeah. And how how were you if you had to rate yourself as a fighter? I was a good street fighter. You know, I used to fight all the time in the street. But in the in the ring, I uh, I had only had about uh, four or five fights, and when I lost one, that was the end. That was I, it. I said that, oh, I'd lost. Again. <laughs> you weren't going to be Rocky Marciano. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Undefeated. Yeah, right, right, right. So this this hurts. <laughs> You know, I was watching Marciano too. I was watching the movie oh, you made you, and watching wow, the. You did some great research. All I dig in, and I was watching the boxing scenes, and I'm thinking this guy knows how to throw a punch. Clearly, because some in some movies you watch boxing scenes and yeah, they look rather silly. Well, you know, as as it was the case, and I did Yanks three, Detroit nothing, top of the seven, playing a baseball player mm-hmm. pitching on stage. Hal Prince hired me to do it. He was the original director, and he got let go. But when before he. Oh, I, I shouldn't say he got let go. They had a difference of opinions, and I, I think he might have quit. But what happened was, when I got on stage, uh, I started p- p- pitch, pitching, and he said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, you're pitching with your left hand. I said, yeah, I'm left-handed. He said, well, that's no good, because you got your back to the audience. I said, okay, I'll go to the other side, pitch from there. He said, that's no good either. He said, because that's a weaker side of the stage. I said, okay, I'll pitch right-handed. So I, so I can throw right-handed and left-handed, you see. So I, so I pitched the whole game as a Yankee ball player, Yankee professional pitcher, as right-handed with the wrong hand, right? And uh, Steve Garvey, uh, you know, Steve sure. from the L.A. Uh, Dodgers, he came, he never believed, he said, i never seen an uh, an actor portray a baseball player as authentic as you had, and I said, "And I'm doing it with the wrong hand." Wow! <laughs> he almost fainted. He almost fainted. That was that's fun. But again, playing the heavyweight champ 
of the world, the only undefeated heavyweight champ of the world, Rocky Marciano, was right-handed. So I had to fight right-handed. Because when I boxed in the gloves, and so I boxed but you left, can't tell. left-handed. No, yeah. no, no, no. I, I mean, yeah. I, I do that. You know, I can, and, I can do and that. And when, when you prepare for a part, mm. I heard you decide if the uh, character is right-handed or left-handed. left-handed. And I'll tell you a great story about that. Why? Because I see, as I said to you before, you know, I watch behavior. But why do you do that? Why do you make that choice? Because I can see, and I you talk about Rod Steiger, okay? He's so left-handed, it's disturbing. <laughs> not sure what that means, but I love yeah. it. Well, if you ever take watch him, watch him and perform, uh-huh. it's 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 a character trait. I mean, it's I'm sure all his characters that he plays are not left-handed. You understand? So you know, uh, so you, and and I play some true life characters too, and uh, so let him know if they're right-handed, left-handed. So it saved my life. I was in Genoa, uh, and I was I was I chosen this character to be right-handed. He's a detective from New York, and I chose him to be right-handed. And so the director, I'm running down the street in in uh, in, uh, in uh, Genoa, and uh, the director says to me, "I want you to shoot at the fleeing bus." Maud Adams was on the bus running. <laughs> Maud Adams, away. wow. Maud Adams, yeah, yeah. So. I said, I'm a New York cop. I said, I can't. I'm not going to shoot at a bus. Well, I'm hit. <laughs> uh, hit. What? He said, shoot. Sure. So he, he said, oh, I'll blow a tire out. He's so full of, you know, baloney. <laughs> so he just went. So I'm thinking, here, oh, my God, what am I going to do? All right, I'll make this director happy. Uh, I'm going to argue with him. Uh, so there I go. I'm running down the street, and I'm going to shoot the thing. And all of a sudden, a real police car comes by here with guns out the door on me, seeing me with a gun running down the street. Wow. And I see it. I go, whoa. I turn my hand back. They cut in front of me. They jump out of the car. And everybody's screaming, it's a movie, it's a movie, it's a movie. So now everybody's pale and and exhausted, excluding the cops. And the conversation in the car is, shoot him, kill him, kill him, kill him. And somebody say, no, 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 don't don't fire, don't kill him until, until he fires the gun. So if I follow the director and I, sh- I shoot the gun, I'm a dead man. If I'm left-handed, I run down the street this way, I don't see them. I run this way, and, and then when I do see them, I go like this, and they blow me away. I, I, I go, I, my hand goes right in front of the, the cop's car, and they, they shoot me. But, but right-handed, I, I'm, I just lay back. You lucked so it, out. So it saved my life. <laughs> wow. You know, making wow. those choices about being left-handed or or right-handed as my characters. Yeah. How so, bizarre. It's bizarre, yeah. And, yeah. and since you mentioned him, because we've mentioned him a lot on this show. We talk a lot about Rod Steiger on oh, this yeah. show. Gilbert yeah. loves the pawnbroker. Oh, yeah. yeah. I used to play poker with him. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> Jerry what, Vale and so on. What was Jerry Rod vale. Steiger like to work with? Well, i tell you a funny story. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a funny story. When we were working on uh, Jesus of Nazareth together, we also did uh, f- a fist. Yeah, fist for fist Norm- Norman well. Jewison, yeah. So uh, he came and he said, uh, Tony, I'd like to, you know, work out because uh, we'll do some rehearsal because, you know, I, don't, I, want, I want to get away from the Steiger. Steiger. <laughs> <laughs> so we do this scene, and I'm as far as Steiger is concerned, I'm, I'm an audience. We have a scene together, but <laughs> because every to finish the season, how was it? Was there anything? Any good? 
I said, yeah, it was good, Rod. Let's do it again, though. Let's do it again. Now I become his director. <laughs> he thinks I'm an audience, but now I'm, yeah, it was pretty good. So now we did the scene again. Was it anything? Was it anything he kept saying? Yeah, yeah, it's Rod's fun. Well, the funniest part about his entrance in, in that movie on a horse, when he came in and we had a big crowd, Zeffirelli and, of course, and the, all the people were above here and so on and so forth, and he comes in, he does his scene, he exhausted. He comes in, gets all his horse. When the scene is over, he looks. <laughs> applause. <laughs> and Zephyrly's going, every applause. Fantastic. I want to applause. <laughs> was he a character? You yeah, spent time yeah, with him socially, oh, sure. too? You played oh, cards sure. with him? Sure. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, we played played at Norby Walters. Uh, oh, fun the famous game. Norby, Norby Walters card yeah, game. Famous, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Wednesdays and... Somebody else, one, one of the other guests we had on the show played in that game. Sure. I'm trying to remember who just it was. Just fun. It's just, you know, hardly any little... I little, heard little he money. was one of those actors that when he got into character, that was it. He, yeah. You couldn't call him by his own name anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. It was funny. He's a wonderful guy and a friend. Don't go away. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Bum, 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 and now back to the show. What was the first big turning point role? Was it? Was it? Because you'd you'd acted before. You'd acted a lot of theater. Yeah, you'd done theater. a lot of theater, but you'd also done some TV. You were in Get Get Smart episode. A little yes. bit of this, a little bit of that. Was <laughs> yeah. Honeymoon Killers a Honeymoon game changer? Honeymoon Killers was my first movie. Yeah, I mean my first uh, movie, '68, I believe. Yeah. we did it. And uh, that was a, that's a story within itself, you know. Why the, the making of that movie? The making of that movie, you know, you know. Yeah, uh, Leonard Castle it. and the whole thing. And yeah. Scorsese was started directing yeah, you it. Know, you know, you did you know that? He's Scorsese, very good. Scorsese no. spent a couple of weeks directing that picture and oh. was replaced. Was replaced by. Uh, then we had we had uh, yeah that was that was weird because um, it was Marty's I think first film, and he as far as I, I know. Uh, the uh, as far as the producers were concerned, he was it was a low budget picture. I mean, the movie was made for one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, and so Marty was using a lot of film, you know, and doing a lot of panning and not enough close ups for the producers. So they let him go, and uh, they hired they hired some young some guy who'd never directed before except for some industrial films, and he stood around pretty much with a script in his hand. And because I had so much theater background, you know, I would rehearse the actors and and, and come in with the, yeah, this is, this is a good idea, how about this, how about that? And so we did that for quite a while, and uh, come the week or week and a half, maybe, of the film, and I was working, I was working with Leonard Castle throughout the whole thing, I had to change the script, cut this, do mm-hmm. this, because I first got that script, it was that thick, it was like 200 pages Interesting. Or more. And we cut it down, cut it down. And uh, well, he said, you know, we don't even have a director on this movie. So I'm going to take over as director, Leonard. So about a week and so here he was, written and directed by Leonard Castle, getting all this praise. Not a filmmaker. Not uh, a he filmmaker. Was, right. he, he, was he, a, he was a musician. And, uh, yeah. And, and yeah. did, did uh, was a, yeah. uh, operas. Yeah. Wrote librettos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, here it was, Leonard Castle, and getting all this, after the movie was a, a success, he was getting offers, but he... Never directed another movie. So strange because the movie made such a mark. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. You know that and, picture, Gilbert? Uh, Honeymoon oh, Killers? Yeah. Very disturbing movie. Mm-hmm. And that, w- that was based on a Thank true you. story. Sure. Oh, yes. The, yeah. uh, Ray Fernandez and Martha Beck, they both went to the electric chair. They did. And it was a notorious uh, trial, too, because uh, she would, I mean, there was, she would talk about his sexual prowess, and, and, and her regret was that she could not sit on his lap while they were going to the electric chair. Incredible. I mean, it was quite. It was quite a, a romance there. Oh, and I forget the name of the actress. Uh, oh, Shirley, Shirley Stoller. Stoller. Yes, yes. Stoller. No, Shirley was great. Yes, yeah, sure. she was perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was later in uh, Seven Beauties. She absolutely yeah. was. That's right. Absolutely. You, you, yeah. you played a Spaniard. I played a Spaniard, and the funny. You want to hear one of the funny story? I mean, I got a million of them. Uh, I got hired by Herb Gardner, one of our great, uh, oh, sure. you know, Thousand Clowns sure. and so on. And were hired to do a play with Milton Berle <laughs> on, on Broadway. A name I, I was, <laughs> that has come up billions of I, times. I was, you, I was burying that one for later, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you did the, the, the goodbye people. The goodbye people, yeah. yes. And so I got hired to play Milton's son, <laughs> you know, the Jewish uptight lawyer. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I say to Herb, listen, Herb, I've got to go do a movie, Honeymoon Killers. I said, but I'll be back. I'm only going to be gone a week, and I have one scene in the play that you can jump around. And he said, no problem, no problem. But do me a favor. When the uh, when we're going to have a first reading with Brenda Vaccaro and and, and Milton and so, <clears throat> I said, he said, come back for the reading. See if you can arrange it with your producers. I do. I'm Raymond Fernandez. So now I'm I'm Raymond <laughs> Fernandez. <laughs> and so I come down, and Milton says, who's this? She says, that's your son. That's Tony. He's my son. So I knew I'm in trouble right away, <laughs> you know. So we do the reading. And, of course, Milton, in the first reading, was sitting around a table. He gets up, makes an exit, goes up the stairs and for applause. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> the first reading. Unbelievable. It's amazing. <laughs> so now what happens is while I'm away doing the movie and I'm just finishing up, I call back and I say, okay, I'm on my way. The stage manager says, don't hurry. I said, don't hurry. Why? He said, well, because when you were away, your understudy uh, uh, did the rod. And he looks so much more like Milton. We're going to go with him. I see. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't strike me out on the bench. <laughs> I said, you hired me. So I come back and, and I say to Herb, i got to have a meeting with you. So I, heard, I speak with him at Downey's. The great Downey's is no longer with us, as you know. That's a that's a, a bar in 8th Avenue. Yep, also gone. Uh, gone. And so we sit down with him, and we say, uh, "I say to him, Herb, uh, uh, give me fifteen minutes. I'll transform back into into the character. You know, I just did the, uh, the Spaniard over there." He said, "I'm having so much trouble with Milton. I, you know, Tony, I just got to go with my instincts." So I said, well, "Give me fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. I'll do." Uh, and then he said, "Look, I, I, you'll call, uh, well, I'll call you tomorrow." I said, "Don't tell me you're going to call me tomorrow. You're going to call me tomorrow and say you're going to have to go with your instincts and go with him." He said, "No, no, no, no." Okay, so he calls me tomorrow. I said, Tony, I got to go with my instincts and go with the other guy. I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> the part you took away from me, I want to understudy it. Now, I want to be his un- the understudy. He said, what? Why do you want to do that? He said, you got to run the play contract uh, understudying the other lead, Bob Dish's part. He said, you don't, you don't have to do anything. I said, no, no, I want to do that. So <clears throat> now I do it. He said, okay, you're saving me money. So now I transform into this, his son. And everybody keeps saying, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? 
So what happens is we're having a run-through before we go out of town with everybody in the audience, Hal Prince, Patty Chayefsky, wow. you name it, who was the big guys, Elaine May, Mike Nichols, the whole mishpuka was out there. The whole <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, the mishpuka. <laughs> so, so there we are. All these, all these people out in there. So I get a call, I said, from, from uh, Herb. He said, Tony, you think you can read that part for me? I said, well, I know the part. I'll do it. Be a, uh, uh, he said, I want to just see it. Also, the producer. Um, my God. Um, terrific guy, and I forget his name. That's okay. Uh, we'll so take So I come in. I do the part for the producer. He said, gee, that's wonderful. Herb will be here in a while. Now, Herb is crazy, you know. It's a big night. He says, I comes in. I said, Herb, Herb, let me do, let me do, you want me to do that thing? So I do it for him. He says, that's wonderful. Can you do that tonight? No rehearsal, nothing. I said, yeah. I said, however, I got one problem. He said, what? I don't like the way you directed the scene. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's not right. He said, well, okay. Uh, all right, you do what you want. This is, he said, just stay out of Milton's way. <laughs> that was the direction. Just stay out of Milton's way. I love that. So now I go into Milton's in there getting made up. This is nighttime, you know. Show, come on, Milton, I'm your son tonight. What? Yeah, come on, let's do some words together. But okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm, okay. So now we now we do the the scene. We are, and uh, in the middle of the scene, Milton stops. Everybody's out. There. He says, "Are you going to say the line, or are we going to bring the curtain down?" The stage manager says, "Milton, it's not him. It's your line. You're up." The line is, and he throws the line to Milton. Wow. Whoa, is right. And then that Milton came out with the bows with the towel and apologized to me, <laughs> to wow. the audience. And, and he said, I bet you never thought you'd see Milton Berle apologize. So then everybody came, oh, it's great, Tony, it's great. And listen, we'll work you in. I said, not working me in. I'm doing the part. Wow. We're going out to Philly. We're going to do is Never got another note outside of the Philadelphia or out, out of trial and on Broadway. When we did the show, and bro, never received another note of the direction of the staging of so on and so forth. That's cool. Remarkable stuff. Yeah, that's I mean, cool. It's amazing. Now, no listener of this show. <laughs> this is where Tony's going to bow out. Would <laughs> let me get away without asking you this. Do you know what Milton Berle is most famous for? <laughs> <laughs> Say it. You can it's long. Yeah, it's only for the internet. <laughs> well, you know, you know the wonderful story about Forrest Tucker. Oh. <laughs> you know, is this the golf another course name? Story? No, another no. name that yeah, comes, up. comes up a lot. And John yeah. Ireland, Forrest Tucker, were all known for their size of their memory. John Ireland. John, John Ireland. Ireland. There you go. Another one. Oh. So, uh, so Buddy Hackett and the guys are sitting around, and they're going to have a contest. <laughs> so to see who's long is bigger. So. <laughs> so Buddy Hackett says, Milton, just show enough to win. <laughs> We've heard, we heard that story with Tom Jones. We yes. heard that story with all kinds of different people. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, with the same thing, just show yeah, enough to win. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great story. want to say, just well, to, go who ahead, Who was Bill. the other one who was supposed to? Uh, we, were told, we were told Guy Marks, the Guy comedian. Marks. Do you remember him? No, I don't know yeah. him. Now, so were you ever honored enough to see Milton Berle's dick. 
to tell you the truth. <laughs> when we were in the bathroom together at the you at the uh, the uh, urinals, he turned to me and he said, "Do you want to see the Big Apple?" Robert's <laughs> a happy man now. <laughs> I said, "No, thank you." <laughs> And now I can kick myself. Kick I would have liked to see the, the size of that thing. What a moment in show business history. Because <laughs> we've had about uh, at least three guests who've seen Milton Berle's dick. Yeah, so. Alan's Weibel claims he saw it. I can't remember who else. Just a couple other quick things about Honeymoon Killers, which if our listeners <laughs> if our listeners haven't seen Honeymoon Killers, see it because it's a disturbing movie. And you're it's, so absolutely creepy. No, thank you. In that movie. Thank you. And uh, thank you. I, this is just what I found in Old Times Review. And they called you a thrillingly, uh, they referred to your thrillingly disgusting smarminess, <laughs> which was a, which is a compliment. Compliment, yes. yeah. Absolutely. Now, yeah, and- Francois Truffaut's favorite movie. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't sure at first about hiring you because so oh, you were an Italian. that's a whole other story. Amazing. I'll and- tell you that one too. It's, uh, you know. I'm working in my theater, the Triangle Theater on 88th Street between First and Second Avenue, right right above uh, uh, below Elaine's. And uh, actress Mar- Marilyn Chris says to me, "You know they're doing this movie. You should go up for it. You're perfect for it." Honeymoon kills. So I call these, this woman. She said, well, 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 how, "How old are you?" I told her. She said, "Oh no, no, you're much too young for that." And we're only seeing uh, authentic Spanish people too, with accents. So, okay. So, Marilyn, a week passes, and she says, they still haven't cast that part, and you should really go up to us. So I go up. The woman says, what are you doing here? I said, well, let me show you something. So I sit in the chair, put my hand on my hair, pull it back, and I speak to her in the Spanish accent. She says, oh, my God. I'll send you in. So I go into the into the room with the producers and uh, speak to them only in the Spanish accent, and... Uh, after I, I get the part right away. And uh, and I only spoke to them. They said to me, would you mind reading other actresses that come in? I said, fine. It would be my pleasure. So, and I never, and, and throughout all the readings, the whole week, never spoke to them without an accent. You see, off camera, I mean, off, relax. So one of the producers said, do you think we can send them to school to learn English better? Woman, wow. woman casting gal said, I've got to tell you, he doesn't have an accent. He said, what? He said, Tony, speak to us without an accent. I said, no, sir, not until I sign the contract. <laughs> <laughs> Which I never did. <laughs> I never did speak to them without the accent until I signed the contract. Because I know the mentality, you see, you know. And uh, that was just great. I mean, I mean, I have so many stories. <laughs> Uh-huh. Now, don't you be a stranger here. Okay. Here she is. Hi. You told her we're married? Uh-huh. Mama, too. Jesus, Martha, I go to New Jersey next week to marry Doris Acker. How am I going to bring her back here if you're here? It's impossible. You know I've got to continue my business. Don't worry. I'll think of something. <laughs> now, what's the matter? Oh, that's Mama. She doesn't want to go to New York. Martha, that's completely out of the question. I mean it. 
Look, you say you love me. Okay, that you're going to kill yourself if you can't come up here. Okay, but you can't bring the old lady. What else am I going to do with her? Get rid of her, choke her. I don't care what the hell you do with her. But you can't bring her up here. You understand? Tell us how uh, William Friedkin saw you in Honeymoon Killers and what happened. There you go. Yeah, yeah. William Friedkin and, and Phil D'Antoni, the producer, yeah, sure. um, uh, saw the Honeymoon Killers. And uh, they said, gee, let's get him for Sal Boca. And the guy said, well, we have to go to Spain to get him. He's got a Spanish <laughs> <love> accent. <laughs> they thought he was Spanish. He thought he was Spanish. And uh, fortunately enough, that I think Wiener, I believe, not that wiener, uh, but uh, <laughs> there was a casting guy and I said, no, no, he's a New York actor. He doesn't have the accent. And that's how uh, that happened. You know, that's what this business is about, boy. Perception of, uh, you know, they say, uh, you know, I, I know when I'm directing, I say, uh, how about this actor? They say, well, I think he's, he's working. He's over there. I said, thinking is no good. Find out for sure if he's working or he's available or not available because... When I did Blood Brothers with Richard Gere and, and uh, Paul Sabino, that's another case. Uh, Richard Price was in my building on three, uh, at uh, 365 West End Avenue, 77th Street. He was in my building, and uh, he was writing this book, Blood Brothers. And we had a doorman named Jimmy who was theatrically wise, and he would talk to him, and I would talk to him about uh, show business. And he said, I'm writing this thing for, you think I can get Tony to read it? Do you think so he finishes it, he finishes the script, and I get it. And I read it and loved it. And so Robert Mulligan uh, is director uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, yes. Academy Award winning. Yes. He's the director. So I meet with him, and as thorough as I can be, I speak with him like four hours about the character and the movie itself. Because, you know, as you said, you know, I, when I'm, I read a, a script, I read everybody's part. And, and the directors and the actors and so on and so forth. And I see the movie. You know, I see, I see. So, so when I, I, he said, okay, you're it. He said, uh, who do you want as your brother? Who do you want as your this? And so on. So he said, I'm thinking Paul Savino. He said, and uh, I said, yeah, great, great, great. He said, but I'm working with a young man for your son. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm working with him and, and we'll go into rehearsal and then we'll have the kid. So somewhere along the line in the rehearsal, he said, the kid is not working out. He says, I need, a, I got to get a son for you. So I call my agent, Ed Lamato, who great Ed Lamato, who he had Richard Gere as a, as a client. And he said, I'm going to send him over. And I, I said, good, I'll do the screen test with him. And I'll even negotiate his contract. I can tell you how much he can get for it, you know, which I like doing. And so <laughs> you really are we, thorough. We did, we did Richard and he got, he got the, I mean, we did uh, uh, Gear, yeah, Richard Gere, and he got the part. And uh, the rest is history. It's a, it's a beautiful movie. But what I, why I tell you that story is because they wanted me to do Fist, a Norman Jewison. And I couldn't because I was doing Blood, uh, Blood Brothers. But what happened was uh, they had hired a kid, uh, I forget what actor it was, to play against Stallone. And Stallone was eating him up uh, on the screen. They, they just couldn't get that. So they inquired, while I'm shooting Blood Brothers, you know, what my availability was. And it just so happened, I had a week off. And so 
what I could do and would arrange, talk about agents and talk about, you know, if he's available, if he's not available. I had a week off from Blood Brothers. I went and did Fist for the first week because Fist jumped 20 years in the picture, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years later. I, after that week, I went back, did finished up Blood Brothers, and then came back and did the rest of Fist. So I did two movies at the same time, which was... Timing. You know, timing. Yeah. All about timing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you got to work with your friends on the French Connection. That's that's true. That's yeah. my, that's true. And you, yeah, you're from a working class family. Oh yeah. And yet, when you and I found this very surprising, when you told them you wanted to go into show business, they were very enthusiastic about that. Yeah, yeah. As far as as far as my father and mother and brothers were concerned. If I wanted to be going in to be a acting school, I was already a star. <laughs> I was already a star in their mind, you know? It was a re- remarkable. It's very inspiring how they would travel distances to see you in small parts. Yeah, you're terrific how you did this research. I mean, they did. When I did, I, when I waited, waited, you see, talking about, I don't know what you want to talk about, describe this as, because when I studied acting at the, at the uh, dramatic workshop, for a year, I was considered the the guy in the school. They wanted me to go after a year to go to work. You know, I was getting all the reviews and all that jazz. And I said, I'm not ready. They said, what do you mean I'm not ready? I said, I just learned one way of acting that you taught me. And it was, I was being taught by a former choreographer. So he was generally teaching me from the outside in. And basically being from Brooklyn, and having the background of boxing and baseball and all mm-hmm. that stuff and streets, street, it saved me because that I was able to f- be emotional and be able to fulfill the direction, which was take two steps here, turn, say the line. This is the kind of direction I was getting. Now, a lot of kids up there didn't have my background and to understand how to justify those things. So when I was when I left that school. I learned from the outside in. It helped me a great deal of about direction, and 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 power of the stage, from his point of view, you know. So, but I didn't. I was I was not being fulfilled because I would be able to do a scene on stage, have cry, have the audience cry, have them laugh, and be thinking, "What am I going to eat after the show? <laughs> what about the softball game I'm going to play?" And I'm thinking, "This can't be acting," yeah. you know. So I went to another acting school where I can learn from the inside out. But I was smart enough to say, I'm going there being dumb. Because once you think and you're the star of this, this other school, you think you know something. I was smart enough to say, I'm, I'm not going to go there and protest anything. I'm going to learn their half of the side. That's why I'm going there. As I was there, and I'm the kid, I was uh, let's see, 18, 19, so I must have been 20 years old when I went to the acting other acting school. And after I'm there for a couple of months, the, the teacher comes to me and he says, I want you to teach. I said, what do you mean teach? He said, teach acting here. I said, what do you, I'm a kid. I said, what do you mean? I said, you have to have, these are young people, I'm saying. These are young people coming. You have to have the sensitivity. No, you were 20. To deal with them. Yeah. And I'm saying, I have to, he said, you see, you know that. That's why I want you to teach. So I taught for a year. I taught Mama Cass. I love that. You know, yeah, that's great. Mama Cass. I taught uh, Frankie Lyman. Cass Elliott was taking wow. acting Cass classes. Elliott was taking acting classes. How about that? Uh, yeah, uh, and so the way uh, worlds collide. Yeah, and and Samson Rafelson, 
was a teacher, Samson Rafe, who wrote The Jazz Singer, yeah. first talking movie picture. And the other te- teacher was Joshua Logan, as teaching directing. About that. And, uh, I mean, he did all the musicals that they keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And uh, he, in fact, it was Joshua Logan yeah. who sent me for my first reading. And my first reading was, was a, quite an, an adventure. I was playing a 21-year-old gigolo, kind of, I think, lover, an older woman, in a California by a swimming pool. And Carmen Capalbo was the director. They were going to do a play called uh, Faster, Faster by Bill, Bill Marchant, I believe. Yeah. And uh, so I went up for this reading. It was a biggest theater I've ever seen in my life. You know, I've been working in a 50-seat theater, and I'm walking onto a Broadway stage with no set on it. You're going to know how huge that is with a thousand people audience. And here I feel like a peanut. And they've got a guy reading the girl. What do I mean? So as far as I'm concerned, I'm all over him. You know, you know, he's going to play a girl. And at one point I say, the line, the line I have, I say, tell me the truth. Don't I look like a Michelangelo statue? <laughs> That's a great line. Carmen Capalba laughs like you did and he falls out of the aisle. And so what happened was, what do I know? So I, I call the next day and I say, do I have the part? First reading. He said, what? He said, he said well, well, no, we're thinking about it. And I said, he said, you did very well, Tony. And if you, you're not getting the part, you're certainly going to be the understudy. He said, That's for sure. He said, uh, so, so now the play gets canceled altogether. They don't do the play. And he said to me, I want you to be in Three Penny Opera. I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, what? You haven't seen that show? I said, no. He said, okay, I want you to play the street singer. I said, street singer? What is that, you know? So he said, well, go see the show. So I go down there, Jerry Orbach is the street singer, you know, and uh, he's singing. I'm bowled over by that production at the Theater de Lise, you know, the original Comic Capalba. I come back, he said, did you see it? I said, yeah. He said, what do you think? I said, it's fantastic. He said, I want, so I want you to do the street singer. I said, I can't sing. He said, can you yell loud? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> can you yell loud? Yeah. He said, okay, do it. So I said, to him, no, no. I said, then why do you want, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, why do you want to hire me? You don't even know if I can act. He said, what do you mean? I saw you do the audition. I said, no, I had a script in my hand. I was, I'm not acting. He said, I want to hire you. I said, no, I got to audition for you. He said, well, okay, okay. So I said, I want to do something that I know. So I come in, costume, makeup, everything. So the stage manager said, you ready? I said, I'm going to be ready for 20 minutes. Went upstairs, transformed into an old man. Because I always always played old men as young men, uh-huh. as a young man. Transformed, came down, they didn't know who I was. And they said, excuse me, can we help you? Oh, sorry, we're having auditions here, sorry. And I walked towards the stage talked to them only in the voice, got up on the stage, got up stage, and did a scene, a six-page monologue from uh, Elmer Rice's adding machine. And uh, they came up on stage afterward crying and say, and Carmen said, look, look, now will you take the job? <laughs> Showing his tears. <laughs> I said, now I'll show you I can't sing. So I was right again. He said, okay. He said, look, look, uh, uh, you can sing with other people. I said, oh, yeah, that I could do. Okay, be be in the gang. Be in the member of a gang. I said, okay, which which part? He said, Bob the Saw. Bob the Saw, oh, yeah. Wait a minute. 
that part should be played by a fat man. He says, what? I said, I'll play him as a big, a fat man, okay? Big, fat man. So at this point, you're saying, do whatever you want, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) You do whatever you want. So now I put the padding on and the nose of Putty. The putty, the whole thing. I'll do the whole character in a fat thing, and I do the part. Now, we had a, the the gang members used to double as beggars, and the guys used to take rags and put them over their faces and so on. Not me. I used to take a whole, make a whole other character, different nose, different hair, gray, a babushka, a whole whole thing, and I had a line. This was a drum roll, and I would say, that must be the guard of honor. Little do they expect they'll be seeing us today. That was my line. I used to get applause every night after I delivered that line because I would put on a whole, I made a whole character of it. I had a voice. I went crazy. I went, you know, that must be the God of honor. (laughs) You know, little do they expect they'll be seeing us today. And they're the audience would go, and the, you know, it was great because the show was running for years, and the, a band would turn, and I was their entertainment for the night. You know, they would turn to see what I was going to do that night. You know, so it was great fun, and uh, it's that kind of uh, thing when you talk about when my parents came to visit me when I did summer stock uh, to remind you how after the the, the year of, of an acting school at the dramatic show, after the year of of uh, acting at the Actors Repertory Theater and teaching. I went away as an apprentice in summer stock for $8 a week and painted signs yeah. and did scenes. You really, so. did, you really immersed yourself in, in, really, in, really in the world of being an actor. Yeah, learning all that stuff rather than going out and, you know, already two years of training. So I would go there and paint signs and be an usher for you know, all that kind of stuff, but I'd have a part. And every time I did a part, I made a whole thing of it that, you know, it was not just a... No small parts. No small parts. Right. And uh, my mother's and father would drive up, you know, 400 miles to come and see me That's do a nice. walk-on. And, uh, nice so that they supported you great, like great that. great, great support. I got very fortunate. So you never, like, you know, ever Thanks, sat Charles. back and said, you. you know, I'm a star, I know what nah. I'm doing, or any of that. Well, stuff. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But I don't say, I don't, you know, do the, the star crap. You know, I'm I'm interested in the work. I'm interested in in the people. And I'm interested, You're interested in, in every aspect of the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- tell yeah. us about your friendship with Scheider and the and and, oh, and how the Roy. French connection. Well, Roy Scheider and I were we'd done I think at least five projects together, and he worked in my theater. And the great thing is he uh, Jason Miller, the great Jason Miller, uh, who was also an actor but also wrote and the Exorcist. Exorcist, yes. Billy yeah. Friedkin. And that championship, uh, that's and right. That championship yeah. season, we did all of Jason's plays at my theater before that champ that uh, championship season. And in fact, he wanted me to play in the championship season downtown, but I was probably too wrapped up working for free at the at the Triangle Theater to to do that, and uh, that was a big mistake. Uh, but uh, uh, so Roy Scheider uh, p- performed in Jason's full length play. Uh, and and one night, uh, R- uh, Roy w- had to go and do Clute, I think the movie with, with Jane Fonda, oh, yeah. yeah. And it had night shoot, so he had a, he couldn't do the play, and so Jason jumped into his own play. Oh wow! Did the lead in his own play. That's when he was married to Jackie Gleason's daughter, Linda. Jason How did you was. get into French Connection? Was it because Friedkin saw you in Honeymoon Killers? I think so. I, and I, they said this guy has to play Sal, and then you wound up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I made 
quick friends with Sonny Grasso, uh, you know, the real uh, detective uh, that Roy played right. in the movie. And then we the did real for, uh, Popeye Doyle. Popeye Doyle right. and yeah. Eddie. I hung out with all those guys, you know, and that that movie's just so much fun. And same thing with with Seven Ups too. Same same group, which was directed by Philip Phil Phil D'Antoni, right, right, right. directed and produced. Yeah, you know the, the 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 stories about French Connection and Gilbert. We've talked about it. How Jackie Gleason was pursued for Popeye Doyle and Lee Marvin and and I think <laughs> Frank Sinatra. I heard no, no, no. Heard no. they shot with Jimmy. They, they started Breslin, out with Jimmy Breslin. Breslin Did you know uh, that? Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Peter Boyle turned Peter it down. Peter Boyle no, turned Frank, it down. Frank exactly. Sinatra was wanted for Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. Oh, yeah, really? that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I know Gleason was was considered. Really? But he had just come really? off of a, a, a film that didn't do well. Wow, I didn't hear that one. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. Then the um, this, the stuff about it too. I mean the cha- that the chase scene the that chase they didn't scene, have the proper didn't have permits. permits. Yeah, that's it was crazy. Wild, wild stuff. Real wild stuff. Who is that clown? Jewish lucky man. What about the last of big time spenders? You make him? No, are you? He's spreading it around like the Russians are in Jersey. They say we stick around and give him a tail. Our friend's name is Boca. Salvatore Boca. B-O-C-A. Well, downtown, they're pretty sure he pulled off a contract on a guy named DeMarco. Man, that's not a drop. I'll open up a charge for you at Bloomingdale's. B-O-C-A. Doesn't matter. And then on our own, after working a whole day and night, we tail him to Brooklyn. And we sat on him for practically a week. Now, who do we come up with? The French Connection. A millionaire exporter with a record too clean to be true. And Doyle knows it. But he's been known to make mistakes. Your hutches have backfired before, Doyle. This time, he can't afford to be wrong. Didn't they actually almost hit that woman in the they, chasing? Well, this, uh, at one point, I think he hits a car that he wasn't yeah. supposed to hit. Yeah, so <laughs> or, or, or two. A couple of those things, yes, yes, yes. And Fernando Ray was cast by mistake because oh he was God. trying to get a different actor. You, they were sitting, Phil and, Phil and uh, uh, Billy Friedkin were watching a movie, a foreign film. And they wanted this actor. I think it was Belle Jour. It was a Belle Jour. And they wanted this actor, and they sent the wrong actor. <laughs> they sent uh, Fernando Ray. And, right. and, and Billy went to meet him at the at the airport, and he called Phil, and he says, the guy got the wrong actor. He said, Phil said, well, what does he look like? He's got a beard and everything. And he said, he said well, ask him if he wants to cut the beard off. And he said, he asked him, he said, oh, no, 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 I have the... It's the bed skiing underneath or something. <laughs> you're, you're, your, brilliant. your wife is outside. Your wife, Elisa, we met, is outside, and she's holding up a sign saying that you have to go to dinner. Oh, But tell really? us one thing about Larry Cohen, who's somebody that we love Oh, on this Larry show, Cohen, my goodness. Who puts you in the movie God Told Me To, yes. which we were talking you know, about. We, we, we did a play together, too, uh, a play called Nature of the Crime. Um, Larry, Larry saw me in Honeymoon Killers, and he cast me in this role, of a genius uh, Jewish uh, homosexual fellow. And I said to him, why are you casting me in that role? I said, what have you seen me do? I said, honeymoon killers. I said, that's fascinating that you're doing that. I said, I, I, uh, do, you, do you know that I can really do that? He said, I do. I said, I don't believe you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cast this part for you. He said, what? He said, I'm going to get five actors who are right for this role. I mean, I know I can do this role, and I want to do it. But I want you to really understand, even though you want to hire me, I want, I want you to see these other actors. So he auditioned all the actors. And I, I said, so what do you think? 
He said, I want you. I said, why do you want me? He said, because you're going to give me something more. They gave me everything they've got, but you're going to give me another thing. It's one of the best roles I've ever played. And, and I based the character on him and a fellow I played poker with and invited him, him to the show. <laughs> Interesting. And the guy said, my God, that's me. That's me up there. The guy who I played poker with. It's amazing. But anyway, uh, then when I was doing Yanks 3, Detroit Nothing, uh-huh. top of the seventh on the play, Larry came to me and asked me to do this movie, Too Scared to... Uh, uh, God told God me to. told me to. And so uh, we did. We shot the movie in the daytime, and I did my play at night, and except on, on Wednesday when I had two shows, so we didn't shoot that day. We shot something else. And that's how we shot that movie. And it's a crazy movie. It's a, <laughs> it's a, a police crazy. procedural that turns into a supernatural horror film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Deborah I, Raffin, Sydney, you know, yeah. Sylvia Sidney, sure. uh, Sam Levine. Yeah, I saw somewhere that you protested or were just very strongly opposed to in the Metropolitan Opera House when they were putting on the production That's of just, the death of Leon Klinkhoff. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, the, the audacity of of them to, to disrespect uh, that man and, and praise the terrorist. Uh, and uh, yeah, that uh, I'm very much uh, uh, involved in the in Israel, and uh, and and very big. I've been to Israel three times now, and uh, uh, to the, the, the short shrift and and prejudice against the Israelis is ridiculous. Just jealousy. I mean, they're brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. Have more Nobel prizes than anybody in this small little country of it, and that they that they would put on a play. That would praise the, uh, the 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 terrorists and 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 it was just awful, awful. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, Elisa's going to get mad at us because she's got to take you to dinner. So set up this set up this piece <laughs> that that you were kind enough to show us uh, oh. uh, before, and you we'll know, get you out of here. You know, my friends, and uh, all the movies that I've done, which is about a hundred and two, uh, to be precise, and all the play I directed and so on and so forth. There comes time when something crosses your heart, and you feel you must you must do it and it's a it's a poem uh called just a common soldier by a lawrence Baincourt. this is is embedded in at west point engraved in a statue at west point it touched my heart and i learned it uh and a and friend said uh, we must film this we did two years ago and it's a five minute uh video and i implore you to go to justacommonsoldier.com on YouTube or whatever, and you'll see this video. It has received two Emmys, uh, and and it has reached 22 million views, which is astonishing number in two years, and uh, I know they're going to play it for you. Yeah, we're going to play it to take out the episode. So Thank everybody you so get, much. We'll but get, I do we'll urge you to, to see it, it for yourself because touching. the visual of it is a, is a tribute to the great men, the great men and women who have fought this country and has given our freedom uh, and given us our freedom and, and they don't get their due. And uh, every time every time this thing is shown, uh, I, when it's 22 million views, that probably translate to maybe 30 million or so people or more that have seen it, not counting when I do it at events, you know, because that doesn't get into view maybe through sure. 800 people in there. But it's really something you want to see 
but uh, you'll you'll hear it. And uh, well, we'll play it, and also you. we we send people to the website so they can actually see the visuals. God bless you. And and we watched it before this interview, and it was really powerful. Thank you. Thank Anything you. else to plug? Yeah. Anything else besides the softball game tomorrow? You still well, doing Fiorello? I'm doing Fiorello. Yes, uh, uh, I've been asked uh, to do it in uh, in uh, Philadelphia again, where I did it once before, and uh, also another theater where my dear friend uh, 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 Dina Martin, uh, Dean Martin's daughter, performed at a theater I think in New Jersey, and we're going to do it there. And some other people want to do it for campaigns, uh, you know, supporting. Because I did it, you know, when John Katsimatidis was running for mayor, uh, he bought 19 shows and and attended every one. And he he, uh, pointed, this is the way I want to be mayor of New York City. You know, so. uh, Now, Fiorello LaGuardia. The man has to go to dinner. What? Oh, okay. I know, That's I okay. know, That's I know, okay. and and your That's wife okay. is going to kill me. All right, no, last question. Okay, okay. <laughs> he used to read the uh, comics. Yeah. yeah, the comics yeah, yeah. on the radio. Yeah, he read yeah. Dick Tracy. Yeah, was know. it during a newspaper strike? Newspaper strike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he said he said, uh, well, the newspaper strike isn't over, and I suppose the children want to hear something about their funnies. <sighs> Do you miss them? Well, let's look at Dick Tracy. Let's see what Dick Tracy is doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I should let you go because your wife is going to get really pissed. She's going to come in here in a minute. And you let me eat, so I'm going to have to let you eat. (laughs) Uh, This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And as much as I'm against all the guineas who have been on this show, he does support Israel, and he did have an opportunity to see Milton Berle's cock. <laughs> which, he, which he passed up. Yes, which I'll never forgive you for. But, but that, uh, we want to thank the great Tony LoBianco. The actor's actor. By. Thank you, pal. Thank you, both of you. Tony, it's thanks. We pleasure. know you're busy, and we appreciate you coming in and giving no, us your time. My pleasure. Man. I enjoyed being with you, both you guys. You're great. Okay. Thank we'll you. See God bless you. We'll see you again. God bless Bye. America. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. was getting old and paunchy, and his hair was falling fast. And he sat around the Legion telling stories of the past, of a war that he had fought in, and the deeds that he had done, in his exploits with his buddies. They were heroes, everyone. And though sometimes to his neighbors his tales became a joke, All his legion buddies listened, for they knew whereof he spoke. But we'll hear his tales no longer. 
for old Bill has passed away. The world's a little poor. For a soldier died today. He will not be mourned by many, just his children and his wife. For he lived an ordinary and quite uneventful life. And held a job and raised a family, quietly going his own way. And the world won't note his passing. Though a soldier died today. When politicians leave this earth, their bodies lie in state while thousands note their passing and proclaim that they were great. Papers tell their whole life stories from the time that they were young. But the passing of a soldier goes unnoticed and unsung. Is the greatest contribution to the welfare of our land a guy who breaks his promise and cons his fellow man? Or the ordinary fellow who in times of war and strife goes off to serve his country and offers up his life. A politician's stipend and the style in which he lives are sometimes disproportionate to the service that he gives. While the ordinary soldier who has offered up his all is paid off with a medal Perhaps a pension, small. It's so easy to forget them, for it was so long ago that the old bills of our country went to battle. But we know it was not the politicians with their compromises and ploys who won for us the freedom that our country now enjoys. Should you find yourself in danger with your enemies at hand, would you want a politician with his ever-shifting stand? Or would you prefer a soldier who has sworn to defend his home, his kin and country, and would fight until the end? He was just a common soldier, and his ranks are growing thin. But his presence should remind us we may need his like again. For when countries are in conflict, then we find the soldier's part is to clean up all the troubles that the politicians start. If we cannot do him honor while he's here to hear the praise, then at least let's give him homage at the ending of his days. Perhaps just a simple headline in a paper that would say, our country is in mourning for a soldier died today.
Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santa Padre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Our researchers are Paul Rayburn and Andrea Simmons. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, Nancy Chinchar, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance.